Hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, Alex Schwarzkopf, CEO and co-founder of Pillar Technologies. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is a podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. Well, this show was a bit of an impromptu recording of Alex and I grabbing a quick cigar. It was kind of like Elon Musk smoking dope on Joe Rogan, except without the insane billionaire, drugs, funny podcast hosts, and millions of listeners. Other than that, pretty much the same thing. Enjoy the show. I will set the scene, if that helps. Uh, this podcast could be an absolute uh, train wreck, potentially, <laughs> or it could be gold. We'll find out. If we're looking at um, nicotine-induced... Nicotine, uh, Construction discussions. Yeah, and sharpness is actually... <laughs> have you and I talked about this? No. There is um, research out there that um, people use nicotine almost like a smart drug. Because yeah. it helps, like, uh, clarify your thoughts. So there are people that are non-smokers, never did anything, but when they have, like, a lot of kind Patches of... On? Or the gum. Or the gum, right? Yeah, so if they've got a lot of writing to do or something like that, rather than using, I don't know what, Ritalin or whatever the hell uh, people do to try and enhance their... Adderall. Adderall, thank yeah. you. Um, Not, I shouldn't know that, but... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. We'll leave it at that. Uh yeah, so today's podcast is a little different. I'm with Alex Schwarzkopf, and we are in my backyard smoking cigars, um, and we figured we'd record this. It, this is now on the heels of myself, Alex, and Rob Carson just sitting down, having a pretty interesting discussion about um, mold and projects in Massachusetts, and especially in wood frame construction. Um, what would you think about what Rob what had to say? Yeah. I think he's coming at it from the right direction. Um, you know, I, I guess I'll set the scene. When when we started this company, we we kind of knew that we weren't the silver bullet, like that was going to solve all problems. And I think what we just worked through with Rob is that, especially molding construction, it's it's sort of a multi-part challenge, right? It's you have the the preventative measures that you can take. Uh, you have the awareness tools that can be implemented, um, and by awareness I mean monitoring. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's there's great or better standard operating procedure that could be anything from readjusting the schedule um, to prioritize getting the building wrapped or tight sooner, or um, implementing dehumidification at, at strategic points in time. Actually, so, you know what? I'm going to be an awful uh, host. <laughs> I'm sure. going to interrupt you and let you not lose your light. Oh, here we go. Um, Thank you, sir. Really briefly. He's, I, a, he's a gentleman. That's what he is. <laughs> did this with um, SmartVid and Airworks. And actually, I did it with Code Red because a lot of people didn't know what code consultants do. Okay. Um, what do you guys do? Just basic, what are, yeah. super, high le- super high level, not, not where you're going. Not yeah. where you're just what, what's your product do? So it's taken me about three years to be able to say this in one sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to think of ourselves as the nervous system of a commercial construction project. Um, our technology is uh, basically a sensor network that you deploy on a project. These sensors feedback data in real time that tell you um, if you have issues. And we're looking at things like early warning, uh, fire detection, um, water leak detection, uh, the mold growth topic is a big, big point for us because we're collecting all that environmental data. Um, 
and the idea is that these these sensors distributed across sites act like nerve endings and they tell you where you have issues um, and our goal was to automate that so that GCs didn't have to think about these these issues that they deal with on you know almost a per project or even like per month basis um, and uh, and and make a product that they could have a good experience with um, so, so for in, in a nutshell yeah okay. and for a dummy like me yep okay and we'll get more advanced but you place sensors throughout the job site and it monitors no, environmental is a really good phrase right it's a really good term um, temperature humidity dust particulate VOCs uh, yep carbon carbon monoxide air pressure ambient light and noise yeah um, so eight eight different metrics yeah in long term you look at it as as more and more data gets collected um, you can start to hopefully become predictive in some sense um, and then there's then this next level stuff, which we can talk about further down the line. Sure. But so Rob showed up today. Yep. He was looking at it, saying, "Okay, in our industry, we have a problem with mold and wood frame construction, um, and wanted to see is there a way your product can help." But it was almost went beyond your product, right? Where he was saying, you know, he's using a more like kind of primitive probe method. Right. And you know, how could we make those two things work together and try and solve the problem? Yeah, like I said before, like, <clears throat> you know, I'll be very transparent. I don't think um, for this particular problem, it's a one one size fits all. Like, I think you need a, a strategy and that strategy can is across a couple different things, like, like I mentioned before. Um, but I think what Rob was getting at is he's fundamentally interested in what is actually happening, right? Because the current data collection methodology today is you put a data logger in the field or you send a guy in the probe and he probes once a day, maybe, maybe he doesn't do it that day. But these issues happen over weeks, potentially even months. And so what, what we're trying to tell with data is actually a story. It's from the time that we installed the flooring to the time that we actually experienced a mold growth issue, what was the objective data telling us about what happened? And then from that, what we can actually do is build a model about, you know, the right before the loss, like what are the indicators of that? Mm -hmm. And then how can we start tagging that in subsequent data sets in the future? So when you're building your next project and we see that these, these, these conditions are occurring or, and, um, you know, we're, we're being predictive about it, right? We can get a notification out to the field and say, hey, focus in here. This is what you have to pay attention to. Um, and here's the process that you need to take to, to mitigate it or manage it. Yeah, and for example, when the three of us were talking, it was kind of, we were getting to the point where we were saying, okay, once we get enough data, you can then tell the field staff, say, listen, if we notice we never have mold if it's under 40% humidity or whatever the number works out to be, right? And maybe it's a correlation over certain humidity and over such and such degrees. Right you then know that, hey, that's every time we've had that recipe, we have a mold problem. So it can be, okay, hey, we're, get, we're bumping up, we're getting close to that threshold, let's bring in dehumidification. Oh, by the way, we're outside, so you guys are gonna hear birds chirping, and like I said, this could be awful. You may hear me shivering. Yeah, so, yeah, it's uh, it's a little cold. It's Halloween, yeah. we're outside smoking cigars, it's, it's not the time of year to do this, but, yeah, so I think that was a really interesting conversation. Um, 
trouble was it was very um, high level. Yeah, and but it was also heady, right? Because we sure. were trying to solve a problem, which means my brain capacity to have much more of an in-depth conversation <laughs> for this is much lower. Um, so let's keep it let's keep it let's keep it simple. Uh, for folks that don't know, sure. fellow Wentworth alum. Okay, proud of it. Yep. Uh, Fellow Leopard, I think the worst mascot uh, <laughs> name in the United States. Like, a jungle, been, jungle cat we in New been, England, you know? Yeah, like, Who knew? In, and if you're going to go that route, like maybe a tiger or a jaguar like the or something. mountain lions, yeah, you know? Le- like. like a leopard. Yeah. Like, uh, okay, right. so uh, fellow leopard at the table. Um, you guys, uh, mechanical, electrical, yep. engineering, you went through the Accelerate program? We did. You did. What, what, was, what was that like? And I, I want to be fair. I want to say how they helped, where they were lacking. But in fairness, it's, it's new, right? They're not. Yeah, it's relatively new. Yeah, we're not yeah. MIT, right? We don't have a, um, want to say you know, they I don't know what they call their startup kind of major what do they call it oh um, yeah entrepreneurship um, or they have a lab too like yes. the, I think it's called the media lab yes yes right? that's right? exactly what it is okay yep. so um yeah go I mean accelerate was was <laughs> pretty transformational I think for me getting me launched in sort of this idea of being able to one have the confidence to go out and do something on my own but I think two teaching um, young students like myself at the time that there are, are there are alternatives to a standard path, and I think Wentworth is known for producing really quality engineers, construction management folks. Like the industry, like I go in a room when I go to to present or or deploy on a new project, I will if I'm in New England and even if I'm sometimes in California, I will without a doubt be like, hey, are there any Wentworth grads in the room? And Usually, yeah. I get a hand right that goes up, or maybe two. And if it's in Massachusetts, it's half the room. It's half the room. Yeah. Right. Yep. So I think you know, coming in and just and just saying like the brotherhood, right? Be able to to walk into a room and feel at home because you know you you've all had that common experience. That was tremendous. Um, what Accelerate teaches you is the way to think critically about solving problems, and um, I, it's a bit different than I think the typical engineering path because you can have a great product that is too expensive you can have a great product that um, you know solves one problem but creates more problems right bad user experience would be a great way to say that and uh, what accelerate showed engineers specifically uh, was that there are multiple facets to creating a great experience and ultimately turning that into a great company mm. And I think for the folks that um, attend Wentworth, it's something that is very outside of what they would traditionally be exposed to if they were going to what I consider like a tech school. Like, you know, that's our DNA. Mm -hmm. And um, it helped to get me comfortable with this idea of saying, you know what, like, we need to solve problems, you know? And and, um, I did internships. Uh, I I worked at Tesla for a little while. I spent some time at iRobot up in... uh, uh, Bedford, Mass. And um, going through the Accelerate program allowed me to marry like 
the problems that I saw at those companies that they were solving and then think about it critically and say, where else could I apply this learning and this knowledge, right? And what could I build? And then um, ultimately, like some of the first money we raised as a company came from benefactors of the Wentworth program, mm-hmm. um, the Wentworth Accelerate program and also the school. Um, and so it was just able to connect us with the, the more influential people in the network mm-hmm. um, that Wentworth had built and, um, and actually get us connected with uh, r- uh, Ryan Hutchins and, and Don Neighbor at Gilbane. They were one of the first uh, people that saw potential, and we met them through the Accelerate program, right? Um, so it was just uh, it was it was pretty influential in getting the business off the ground. Yeah, and yeah. I like if it's a long story, you don't have to tell it all. But at a minimum, I thought that story was great, just because what the product looked like when you showed up at their <laughs> uh, at their office. Yeah. So. The first product for for those of you guys that don't know, it looks like a the first gen, the first first gen, first gen one, yeah, s- sensor. Yep. It, it was this, um, it was this piece of crap. Honestly, yep. um, I'm, s- I'm really glad that they saw uh, potential in us, but we had basically hot glued a prototype together, put it inside this metal box, like laser cut the 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 top and like screwed it on. For for construction folks, it was an ele- it was a junction box. It was a ju- yeah, it was literally a junction box that we yep. bought at Home Depot. So I'll back up a little. So the, the story goes, my two co-founders at the time, they're, they're on the way to the meeting to pitch, to pitch Dawn, and they're looking at this rat's nest of wires because we had hacked something together, right? They're looking at this rat's nest of wires, and they'd be like, holy crap, like, we can't actually put this on, put the, this table. on the table. This is ridiculous. Like, so they're on the way. We were coming from Somerville. We stopped at the Home Depot, um, we're like, in Cambridge, right? And, like... They bought two blue electrical housings and then some screws and just like literally screwed the things together mm-hmm. and threw that on the table. And I think one of the, the funniest things is the demo went great. They put it in the freezer. We saw the temperature dropping in real time. The alert cool. notification went cool. off. And uh, and Don, Don was like, it's not going to look like that, though, right? <laughs> like when we buy it, like, it's, you know. So, so we went back to the drawing board uh, after that meeting. They, they agreed to pilot with us, um, and then that was actually the first money that we ever made, mm. uh, which was pretty amazing, you know. Yeah. How, so let's say a bunch of things, right? So then um, Anil. Anil right? Ja. Anil yep. Ja, like, got involved early on to yep. help and, out. And uh, Sam Altschuler, um, who was one of the benefactors at Wentworth as well. Mm-hmm. Sorry, taking Greg. Um they got involved also shortly after that i got a call um from rose yes mm-hmm. from lee kennedy right um and rose conti sorry yep. for people who don't know what we're talking about uh who we're she's talking the same about. by the way yes she's a wonderful woman um does a lot for the, our industry as a whole for folks that don't know her look her up um i got a call from her saying hey there's this startup out of wentworth they're looking for stuff for the construction industry. I think you might be able to help them. They're, they're looking for help. <laughs> they're, they're looking for help. Um, that was some guidance. This was probably three years ago three, now, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so full disclosure, as this conversation goes on, I now do consulting for Pillar. Um, the first two years. Um, you were a gracious benefactor. I was, yeah. A, uh, it was pro bono work. Yeah. Let me see if I can write it off in my taxes. <laughs> Two years of pro bono work, uh, now compensated um, pay, so full disclosure. Um, but yeah, I reached out and 
it's been really interesting to watch the product evolve. I particularly find the business side interesting, how it was just, you know, the three of you in a room doing everything yeah. to you start to get funding. And I think there's a lot of people out there that probably don't understand how it works. You're venture backed, we are. right? I mean, a lot of people just listening to, you know, um, general life you hear terms, especially now our entrepreneurship is so popular per se. Uh, you hear angel round, mm. seed round, series A, series B. What does that all mean? What, yeah, what, what does that mean and, and what, and where are you guys at in that in that process? Yeah, I, I think the the first step for every company companies need money, right? And and in every company, there's a barrier to entry to build or to add or provide the value that the company's ultimately vision statement driven by. Um, so, for example, like Joe, your 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 company is fairly low capitally intensive, like mm -hmm. right. So it's your time, uh, your energy. Um, relatively low business expenses. Um, when you're building a physical product, I mean, there, there's a there's a lot of um, prototyping, production, um, uh, just machine time, right? A lot of things that need to be bought and paid for. Um, there's also something called we call in this uh, called NRE or non-recurring engineering cost. It's basically the sunk cost that it costs you to build a product, right? And then over yep. time, you hope you make enough money to recoup that cost. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, our company, we knew, was just going to be capital intensive from the beginning. Um, it's also, you know, when you think about these businesses, also, um, you know, a barrier to entry, right, for, for competition. Mm -hmm. So we, we thought about this and we said, okay, we know we're going to have to build this. We put about um, nine, almost ten grand of our own money into this when we got started. Um, and then at some point, you just got to sort of meet your maker and say, okay, it's time to, time to, to go for it. So Anil and Sam uh, were the first two checks in, um, and that was what I'll call like a friends and family round. Um, that's basically like, you know, you get on your knees and you beg your friends and say, hey, I have this crazy idea. The likelihood of working out is like literally not so good. 2%. Yeah, 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 yeah. it could be actually worse than that. Yeah. Um, but uh, hey, you know, do you have some extra pocket cash? Don't you love me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. do you love me? You know, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to eat, right, you know, ramen yeah. diet. Um, and uh, and they, they saw something in it and um, they backed us and then I uh, now will that round actually have a name? Yeah, it is literally called the friends and family round. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, and it's it's usually done on debt, which is um, it's like a promise of future value. So what we call it is we'll do it on like a what's called a safe um, or a, a convertible note, and effectively it's like a stock purchase with future value. So it's saying like. I'll give you money at this amount, um, capped at, at, you know, I'll buy into the company capped at, let's say, five million bucks. So you're basically saying, like, the dilution that you will take on that is, is no more than if the company was valued at five million bucks. So you say you give me 15,000, mm -hmm. you won't, like, and I raise, I raise my next round at $10 million. You will your sales will convert as if the company was valued at five million. So because you're taking more risk now, I'm you gonna give you incentive. Yes, yeah. yep. for your money. So your money goes farther. So higher risk, but the money goes farther, right? In the next round, this person that puts in fifteen thousand is getting half. 
because it's ten million. Correct. Right? Yeah, yeah. So they, the they will not have the advantage of, of having gotten in early at those terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how you can raise money um, with relatively little, um, because you're you're basically giving a discount on future value. Mm-hmm. Um, the next round we did was what I'll call like our, our pre-seed round, and a pre-seed round is it's basically like saying, okay, we've got a concept, we've got an idea. And we've we've built some type of rough prototype, some MVP, right? As 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 you call it, and that was uh, for us after we deployed our first pilot with Gilbane and Delbrook. Um, in this, I think we're in 2016 right now. And um, based on the results that we had from those pilots, we were able to go and raise about 850 grand. After, so it's about building momentum and building the story. And along the way, the story will change. And so you're basically saying to the, the first money in, hey, guys, like, I'm not really sure about this, right? Mm-hmm. And in the pre-seed round, you're saying, I'm more confident, but there's some risk. Yeah. And then... I've got an inkling that... Uh, exactly, yeah, we, we think there's yeah. something here. Mm-hmm. And then um, the, the last round we did, which is our seed round, is um, after we had revenue, like we had customer referrals, like we were becoming a more mature organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had released Gen 3, or excuse me, Gen 2 of the pod, which was not on tripod, right? Because yes. we realized that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and uh, we had been able to attract some, some, serious, some serious investors. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is there a definition for seed round? Not necessarily. Um, the definition... I would say actually uh, is about the, the sort of metrics of the company. So usually for a seed round today, you need to be generating some revenue. Um, you could be pre-revenue, but your investors need to see that you can be generating revenue within probably six months of an investment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually small. And by small, I mean between 500 and $3 million dollars. Mm-hmm. which may not seem that small, but like in reality, it's, it goes quick. Yep. Um, and then uh, the idea is that when you get to the rounds that require more metrics, like I need to show revenue growth, I need to show team growth, customer growth, um, those, are when, those, those are the rounds that start to get up there. So like, you know, $3 million, $10 million. Those are Series A's, right? $10 million. Series B would be your, your basically proved product market fit. Mm-hmm. And now it's about pouring gas on the fire is how, you know, we, in construction, that's never a good thing to say, but in venture, that's, um, you know, that's the thing they look for in that, in that round. Okay. So I will, tap, as I relight I, my I cigar. Will, yeah. I will tap dance while you relight. Um, one interesting application, I think for your product, and it's funny, you mentioned this and I had similarly said something in the most recent podcast about cross laminated timbers or depends on when this thing goes out, but in the CLT um, podcast I talked about, my personal opinion is that people would be more interested or find more valuable a well-building standard building versus a lead building. And the concept was that, um, or my idea or thought was that, yeah, I'm happy to work in a building that is good for the environment and my children and whatever else, right? But at the end of the day, we're humans and we're somewhat selfish and I'm more inclined to pay extra to work in a building that, you know, adjusts for, with circadian rhythms, with the lighting, air quality, 
has a gym in there so I can exercise and has, gives me options of good food. Food is extremely important to me. Like, that's number one on my list. Says the if guy I'm, who has, like, a really strict diet, just for everyone that doesn't know. But eats phenomenally. Eats, eats very well. <laughs> yes. You know, so, um, yeah, so that matters to me. It's been a life-changing thing that sounds drastic, but it's the reality, you know, I've it's my health has gotten so much better since I've done it. Um, I wouldn't have my own business if I didn't fix my diet just because I was, didn't have the energy, had blood sugar problems, all types of things. So for me, I think us as humans, I think that's going to matter. And I, I found it interesting that so this morning you were talking about someone that you were speaking to, I think, on the property management side that was saying that they're really starting to see or they think the next move is in wellness in that your sensors where you're talking where you monitor air quality um vocs yeah i mean i think like i wonder if you know how you can get lead extra uh, uh, i know nothing about lead but for what, full disclosure me neither yeah so mm. what minimal i know about lead i think there's within their point system they have like i don't know if they're called bonuses or their there's big, credits right yeah but you can get additional points oh, for like new technologies Yes. So there's prescribed, and then there's you know, like, hey, there's this new technology that is really good for the environment, or whatever. So, um, I mean, I, I look at it as they install that monitoring system through your sensor. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine they say, okay, yeah, we use low VOC products, but you know what? We're going to install sensors and we're going to monitor and we're going to tell you for sure yeah. what the. Here's the data. Yeah. Um, so, uh, to me, it, it's funny. Every time we talk, there's something new that you uh, that we say that yeah. okay you know monitoring this like oh imagine what we could do with that data you know um, so I, I was tap dancing a bit but I want you to go ahead and finish Good. on um, the so you hit series A series B will that go on till Z like what how does that no so I mean typically um, if the company goes to series Z. One, no one's probably going to invest in it. And two, you probably don't have a business. Uh, you probably just have a boat in that matter. Yeah, You're just yeah. throwing money into it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, usually um, there's a couple different milestones. So, it, you know, if you want to build a big company, you'll probably continue raising uh, subsequent rounds um, until, you know, you get to a point of, of great profitability or, you know, an IPO, which, um, you know, some companies go that way. Um, other startups, um, they think about themselves as, um, you know, not necessarily growing that large. Like the market they could be in just isn't that big to, to accommodate massive growth, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. Um, and, and some companies are. And so it, really the way that it should be thought about is what does the company need to get where it needs to be? And uh, we pick our investors based on that. Um, we think about you know the, the strategic business decisions in terms of that, right? Um, you know, there's there's some companies that need to grow at all costs, right? Acquire users like an Instagram or a Facebook, and then they'll think about revenue later. Mm -hmm. Or there's companies that you know are very revenue driven, and in order to show defensibility of the business, they need to generate revenue quickly and and um, have, a, have a great customer acquisition model. So, you know, we're somewhere in the middle, right? We we want to um, change the way the industry thinks about building um, and using data to do that, right? I fundamentally think Pillar's a data company. Um, 
instead of a hardware company, right? We're, we're not a sensor company. We use sensors to get insights that we can then deliver to our users, mm -hmm. um, which is a bit of a different way of, of thinking. Um, and so, you know, we've done uh, we've done the rounds that I think are appropriate to making that that happen. Um, we're actually thinking about um, what our, our capital needs are for the future. Um, so we, uh, we, we are actively looking at awkward pause That's all right. to uh, enjoy that Cuban cigar. Go for it. Um, what our capital needs are going to be for the future to, to take the business where it needs to go. Where do you personally, what would you like? For Pillar? Yeah, what would you, how would you like to see it play out? Yeah, I mean, um, I think every entrepreneur dreams of like a big company. Um, for me personally, I'm really uh, value driven. So I need to be building something people want and care about. I would be the worst like used car salesman. Because you know, I couldn't sell you like mm -hmm. this busted up Honda Civic and be like, oh, it's brand new. You know, we rolled back the odometer and yeah, it's just not my my style. So um, personally, I, I want the company to grow at the rate it needs to grow to keep up with the in keep keep just ahead of the industry in terms of pushing the boundaries of what people think is possible, um, but never losing sight of of our customer. So I have a I have a saying. Um, our field solutions team, which you could think about as our our customer success, right, or or like our our success team. Um, I told I told the the field solutions manager. I said, "You're the voice of the customer inside Pillar. If we stop doing or we stray from adding value in the field with the people that you're on the ground with every day, like you need to tell me. That's your job, right? Mm -hmm. And so." that's the ethos that we're trying to bring to the company because if you have a good company and you have customers that like what you do, um, the company will be, the, it'll be successful. Mm. Um, and then it remains to be seen, um, you know, how quickly we can scale and grow, but I, all indicators point to, to that we, we have a good shot. Yeah. We have a really good shot. Yeah. Um, more personally, Okay, because like, I understand that's um, how you see the company, you know, and like what how what the I hate the term, but like the core values you want them to have, right? That's the like that's how I want to operate. That's how I'll sleep well at night. But long term, when it's done, like how like would you? And I'll send a couple of things out there, you know. Would you like to do an IPO? Would you say like that sounds like the worst thing in the world to me? Like <laughs> I'm exhausted. You know what I mean? What you know? I'd be very happy with a mid-sized product that serves the industry and um, continue to grow and be the CEO. Like, what do you, you know? Do yeah. Because right now you have to deal with a lot of investors, right? That hold you accountable. Yep. You go public, it gets worse, right? Well, now the world becomes your your mm. investor base, right? So can't to keep, me, can't keep everybody happy, right? To me, that sounds horrible. <laughs> I don't like having a boss. Yeah. Never mind a world of people. What do you like? I think the real question is, um, at what point do you lose control? So for every entrepreneur and everyone, actually in general, that's that's felt like they are not uh, heard or that they, they have lost the ability to really make meaningful impact, 
I think that's the discouraging moment. And as an entrepreneur, um, I think you have to be very careful about the people that you surround yourself with from, you know, internally to the people you hire to externally to the people that invest in your company. And, um, you know, an entrepreneur is a, is a creator at heart, right? I mean, we all, in a sense, are entrepreneurs and have been. Um, every time we solve problems, like entrepreneurs, like people like have this really grandiose vision of it. But like Joe, I mean, like you're starting your own business, like you're in a sense an entrepreneur, right? And like yeah. every one of these folks that's going to listen to this may start businesses at some time. And, and the folks that, that run these construction groups or the startups that may be listening to this, like we're all entrepreneurs at heart. It's more of a spirit, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Um, and I guess nothing's more discouraging than, than having to stray from the vision of creating yeah. and, and adding value because that's why we do it, yeah, you great, know? Great point, right? Like once you get to the point where you know what the right decision is, and you're, but you're going to get to a point where you can't make that decision because there's somebody outside saying, I want you to go a different direction. I want you to go, the, this is going to make us more money, you go that direction. Yeah. Even if you know down deep in the long term that is, will probably be more profitable, or even if it won't, it's still the right thing to do, and you lose that autonomy, you're crushed, right? Yeah, I mean, think, well, your your soul is crushed, mm-hmm. like, certainly, right? I mean, from that perspective. That's what I meant. I'm sorry. I didn't yeah, no, 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 no. Your business is probably doing really well, but, yeah, your, your, your soul, your soul is, is crushed. And I think that there's the other thing, too, like, um, I also am a big podcast listener, and there was, uh, there was a really interesting uh, podcast about Toms of Maine. And yeah. um, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but... I know it, yep. I, yeah, so they, they hired a management I consultant. Use their, I use their toothpaste. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, they hired a management consultant, and um, they brought him in and said, how do we maximize profit? You know, like our, our sales are kind of plateauing, our products are plateauing. How do we come in, and, and I might be paraphrasing, but the, the, the fundamental thought process here is that they told them how to get the most money out of the business, right? And within a couple of years they started to stop innovating. They were just focused on, on profit, just focused on quarter to quarter growth. And, um, and I, I believe what ended up happening is they, they totally transitioned away from that. They said, we need to get back to our roots. We need to keep innovating. And every company, if you're not continuously innovating, um, you're you're dead, right? It's just the nature of the business world, which I think is really great. Right. And it should be built into the DNA of every company. Um, and that takes money. It takes money and time and risk, right? Mm-hmm. And maximizing profits means minimizing risk to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that you have to be careful, right, about, about how you think about that. And back to your question of, you know, do we IPO, do we not? I am a person that likes to see things through to their end. And if it means that Pillar's in a position to become a big company, then, you know, I want to push it to be that way mm-hmm. but I, I really hope that we don't lose sight of where we started um, and we can sort of keep that DNA as a core part of, of the company mm-hmm. um, and I've, I've seen some companies do it really really well uh, so it is possible yeah. um, but you gotta have the right people on board that it's people thing you yeah. know I think there's a lot um, to what you were saying about um, that's the last match, so don't don't uh, don't lose that. I'm I'm making you talk too much, really so you keep losing this. the light. Um, I suppose we can always hit pause. Um, but when you were talking about, you know, 
the often used kind of phrase innovate or die essentially right um, or grow or die whatever the, the term you want to use um, I think there's a serious liability within the construction industry you see all the numbers about us being one of the worst as far as increase in productivity technology adoption and I think a lot of long-term players have a real potential of <coughs> losing their position right which is I'll keep talking there it is yep <coughs> we, we, we stated got it before we, got it we started <laughs> we, we said we're going to be coughing in this by the time we're we done we got it lit um but yeah I think it's I think it's a problem for people in construction and I look at the companies like I've met with a few companies um, one that they're Massachusetts they have an office in Massachusetts they have a big presence down south and they brought up this team that was from Nashville and they were just showing me all the tech they're using and you know I think those companies that are leveraging all that technology they're they're gonna win and the people that aren't are gonna lose it's a very simple statement right but I think it's even more than just basic like oh leveraging technology because what I mean what does that even mean right so Yes, I've thought a lot about this. Um, my contrarian view, like the view that m people might not agree with, is I think technology adoption is a barometer to an organization's ability to challenge their own status quo. And, you know, technology is not an end. Technology is, is a tool to help innovative thinkers, right? People that want to say, yes, we've been doing it this way, but we can do it better. And I think construction kind of gets painted as this this black sheep um, because it's so, it's really hard to build buildings. You have to worry about regulation. You have to worry about labor. You have to worry about materials and weather. There is so many factors, right? Safety. Yeah, and safety. I mean, that's, that's paramount, right? Now that we actually are becoming aware to safety in this industry and probably in the last decade, it's become at the forefront. Like, we have to change the process to build better. And that takes risk. And as, as contractors, um, you know, I'll, I'll speak outside of the industry, but I see contractors, their, their whole job is to minimize risk. Right. That's why they need good scheduling. That's why they need good, good estimating. Right. That we're in the game of risk management. Um, technology is a tool to help with that. Right. And so as the market adopts, the needs of the market adopts, uh, changes as owners uh, and, and projects become more sophisticated and more demanding. The uh, the technology is a tool to continue to manage risk at the exponential level. Right. It It, it scales. It's much better than you know, three guys that know everything there is to know, if they have a tool that empowers them, they can affect an entire organization instead of just three individual projects. Hmm. And so um, I think what you're seeing is the, the teams that get it are looking at it and saying, how do we build a culture of fostering creativity and risk-taking as our core and leverage technology to scale that up? And that, that may, that some people may disagree with that, but I, again, technology is a tool. It's not the solution. Correct. Yep. Um, I think people are the solution. Um, and the, the leadership in these companies of the ones that are adopting technology is, is saying, I know you may make mistakes. 
-hmm. but let's make mistakes and figure out how to learn because if we learn how to learn we will be competitive yeah i agree and uh, i'm often repeating myself on this point but the folks that are just all in on the modular front whether it is oh, they're gonna do so well yeah they're gonna do you know, so well yeah. and uh people are gonna be really sick of me talking about katera but like i look at it and they what they are you know what they're doing and like i i talked about in that last podcast where lendlease who was building they had a contract with the military to build um like I think it's lodging housing for the military, mm -hmm. right? And they would build it out as, I think it's a public-private partnership. It would be a hotel, but it would be for military personnel. I mean, they saw like a reduction, I want to say around 40% in labor and time by going with modular. They happen to be using CLT, but crew side is way down, so safety goes up. Yep. You look at Katera hiring, I mean, acquiring, Michael Green Architecture, the leader in mass timber, construction companies across the U.S., building out all these nodes. You see J.C. Canestraro building just basically a prefab shop in the seaport, so now you're getting close proximity. Yep. And the people that are doing that and taking that risk and, and trying, like... <laughs> well, they're seeing results now. Yeah. You know, and mm -hmm. I... So, so back to risk reduction, right? Mm -hmm. What is with the risks that... that prefab is solving it's all the unknowns they're literally taking all those out right they're saying it doesn't matter if we have a lightning storm it doesn't matter if we have rain torrential rain like we can put up a module in a day yeah it, right? goes, it goes back to what you said building buildings is hard yeah right so make it easier right <laughs> yes and the reason it's hard is because the productivity gains in other areas are areas that are automobiles yep. or widgets where you are building in a controlled repetitive assembly line environment yep right? ford henry ford you can really get the efficiencies down to the millimeter yeah. on things right you can really get it super tight and super productive <clears throat> when you are not repeating you really have a struggle so i think there's going to be this fragmentation that happens there are going to be construction companies that do renovations mm -hmm. and there are going to be construction companies that build buildings and there's two different skill sets you can roll out with a crew everything prefabbed in a rector set like when you see those like 80 story buildings in china built in 15 days <laughs> it's ridiculous it's amazing right you'd like, never you'd never believe it if you didn't see the timelines right yeah do you think you could take uh, no offense to everybody listening, but do you think you could take a, Ma a Massachusetts construction company right now and build something in 15 days? The, so, so you, you can. You, you can. But, but they're not thinking that here's, way. Here's the right? Yeah, but, but here's the question. So in, in, in Asia, I think the regulatory requirements are, are different. And what I think is, is a challenge here is that we have, we have a legacy system. And you spend time. You're a building inspector. You spend time in that world. I mean... We need to, with innovation comes entire change to systems, right? Like the assembly line in construction, you know, thank God. It's only a matter of time, right, before that becomes a de facto standard in my mind. Like you're still going to have the one-offs and the special builds. But like affordable housing, modular, do it. All day long. All day long. Hotels, do it, right? I'm Office buildings, do it, right? 
um, you know, if people haven't been paying attention to WeWork, I think that they should take a long, hard mm-hmm. look in the mirror because they're doing that for co-working, right? Kintera's doing it. They're, they're, they're basically de-risking communication is what they're doing. They're saying, we're going to build a complete life cycle from architecture, design, to construction, to, you know, who knows if they're going to get into operation. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not in, involved with them too much. But that's the de-risking component, which increases efficiency and now, you know, if they can deliver on that promise, I think remains to be seen. Like, we're, we're still in the early days of them building out that business, mm-hmm. but it's happening, right? It's happening, and, like, I know a couple of GCs that have acquired modular, prefab, panelized, you know, you name it, mm-hmm. um, that are starting to spec that in or build that in. They're just like, this is how we're going to build it. Like, this, this, and for the owner, it's like, that's a huge risk management component, too. I mean, if, if they, can get, they can get that asset generating money faster, yeah. That's a win. Yeah, and they just, it's the risk mitigation, right? Like, I think you might have just said that. Forgive me if you did. No, that's didn't. I, 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 I mean, that's our game, so I'm going to say it right. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've pulled the risk out of it by building all that stuff in a factory. You've also taken out risk on schedule, right? Where, okay, can't pour concrete. Yeah, too cold. Right, too cold, or we've got to do temp heat. Now we're having a problem. We have to top the building. Um, we have all the things that you guys solve, which is we now have um, leaks, we have frozen pipes, we have, you know, so you start pulling some of those issues out by prefabbing and going with modular systems. It's really great. So that's where technology does it on that side, right? But I think there's that second group of construction that gets left, dragged for myself. Good. I got to make sure I didn't lose it. it. Okay, good. Yeah. Mm. One more, good, all right, I'm good. Is the existing condition stuff, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's a complete gut run over an entire yeah, building fit or fit outs and occupied facilities. That's where like there's a whole nother skill level, right? Because you're dealing with people in your space. You're dealing with potential, you know, you do construction, the risk of a fire on a construction site versus an occupied building huge spread yeah right but now you're introducing that fire hazard to an occupied space right you're introducing dust into a hospital environment yeah right you're making assumptions of an existing building and trying to build but you don't know what's behind a wall or you don't know what's above a ceiling so that's where it all goes. I think in that half of the business, that's where the data is going to happen, right? And uh, I'm the folks that were on, like McCall and Eric from Dimio, that do this for a living, they probably know it better in like the VDC and laser scanning and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But the data is going to matter so much more in those conditions because, you know, like I said, occupied facilities, existing conditions that you don't know what they are. So the ability to s- scan products, get accurate measurements, you know, you can you can get a set of drawings and prefab, and you know what the length of that wall is, yeah. right? So I'm I'm calling it the the Carfax, and maybe that's not original, mm. but I, to me, a building is going to be treated just like we treat cars today. It's going to have a maintenance record. It's going to have this is how it was built. Here's how you know we manage this risk. Um, this is the maintenance that was done. To me, it's it's a living, breathing thing. Mm. Like, and. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that standard will actually kind of carry through into ownership, right? Um, 
and I, I think properties will start to be bought and sold on you know how good the data is right because right now it's you know you know what you know but you you don't know what you don't know right mm-hmm. and so actually um i have to catch my plane so i gotta i gotta kind of wrap wrap these thoughts up but um the uh the thing i'll kind of end on is i was sitting down with someone fairly high up at scanska and they said to me there's like data data is going to be incredibly valuable to our company in the next 10 years because we need to figure out what we do really well and we need to do that on every project Mm -hmm. but we need to figure out what we don't do well and make sure we get rid of it or stop doing it Mm -hmm. and the only way we do that is by standardizing the way that we collect information across every project that we do because it's only when you have a standard data set that you can start to pull out those trends and the, the challenge, I think, for companies in the next couple of years is how do they standardize how they consider success and drive that to an objective, either number, value, green light, yellow light, red light, to say this project did really well, here's why, this project didn't, here's why, mm-hmm. and pull those things out objectively and start to build better process, better procedure. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to let you go, but you've kind of said in the past, and I think you're right, where you talk about, and you can elaborate if you remember even saying this right, but you talk about how many decisions that get made with no data <laughs> yeah. in construction. That's why we started this company. Right? Yeah. You just, we say, oh, well, there's a number of reasons. We do it because we've always done it that way, or because I think this is the right way to do it. Um but we don't have time to get into the specifics, but when you start getting data, you can make educated decisions. I think you start making educated decisions, you're gonna, you're gonna do well, right? That's a very simple statement. Yep. Um, and the companies that are looking at collecting the data, whether it's through a drone or a laser scan or a sensor, and whether that sensor is in an environment or it's the concrete sensor in the concrete, right? right? Now you know, now you're not guessing you're not guessing yeah i've been on jobs where we tried to put roofing down and we thought we had good concrete we started drilling anchors in and you could just walk and pull them out with your hand yep okay we didn't know yeah we didn't know we thought we were good but there was a temperature problem right so um you can start to and you're going to do that once and you're going to go you know what now that we now that we're watching temperature we're going to know hey here's our real threshold Right? right, when we can pour and when we can't pour. Or, you know what, like when Rob and I and you were talking today about, okay, here's when we can start closing in the building because our environment is correct and we're not gonna seal in the building and create mold. Right. right. So we, we actually had a builder recently um, get an exemption to the local building code just by looking at our data. Like one of the PMs was on site, building inspector was giving him a hard time about hanging sheetrock and um, he walks over his iPad, pulls up the dash, flips through the data from last week, and shows the building inspector. He goes like, "Okay, great, you can keep mm-hmm. going." That's yeah. two weeks, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's like those efficiency increases that I think are going to continue to drive the adoption, right? And so better decision making. And you're talking about schedules in decision making. Yeah. Absolutely right, and but then you, to go back to your Carfax point. Yeah. Right. How many times have 
construction folks listening run into problems with here comes a helicopter that's going to ruin our podcast. Um, yep, med flight, I think. Um, but you have run into the condition where a product starts delaminating, a coating starts peeling. Nobody knows why. And nobody knows why. And the manufacturer's first response is you didn't control humidity. It was too cold when you uh, put the thin set down. That's why it's all coming up. There, you know, w- whatever the reason, if you can have that data where you can say, hey, here's minute by minute the temperature and humidity in this room, print it out, slide it across the table. For the life of the project. Yeah, for the life See, of the project, yeah. right? Here you go, have someone out here next Monday to fix this, right? Exactly. All right, Al. You gotta run. Thanks, man. Alex, it's sorry. been a serious pleasure. It's, it's, it's no, my, no, it's my bad. My, L to my friends, right? My, my bad habit. <laughs> I will reduce people down to a single letter, single syllable. But fantastic, Thanks, Al. Thanks, Joe. See you. Cheers. Hey, everyone. Can't thank you enough for listening to the show. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you loved what you heard. Um, if you did, if you wouldn't mind heading over to SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever it is that you listen, and give us a rating, it would help us to get heard, which would be huge. Keep this thing going. Um, If you want to get more involved, head over to massconstruction.org. You can see what we do there. You can also connect with us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook, all from that page, whatever your medium is that you prefer. Uh, And last thing I got to say is thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep your hands away.